Our Father in heaven, as we come before you, we are grateful for your fatherly love of us, your provisions for us, for salvation in your Son, and for your word. Father, we pray today that your Son will be honored uh, through the Spirit's working in our lives as we consider your word, as we consider our own adoption, as we consider how to be a faithful reflection of you in our homes and to come alongside others who are struggling in the area of parenting. Father, we thank you for your sufficient grace, your sufficient word, and we ask now your blessing upon this hour in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what a, a blessing as I've thought back through um, parenting that ACBC has been uh, to my own life personally, to my family. Um, over the years, the kids in our home, as you can see there, have piled up. And as I reflect back on ACBC and its influence uh, in, in our own home, I'm grateful because next to the church, the local church, ACBC has been the greatest influence upon my own spiritual walk and development and equipping to be able to help others with God's Word. In fact, I remember I was just talking to Nicholas Ellen, who was one of the speakers in Houston about 18 years ago, and we used to drive to Houston to do this very thing there. Um, my wife was being ACBC certified, NANC certified at the time, and uh, Randy Patton asked her to come down. She's nine months pregnant with now our oldest child, and she is there to get her certificate. And, and what a blessing to, to now look back on that and, and see uh, my 18-year-old daughter now having completed her ACBC exams. And I have a 16-year-old son here who's now in track three, done over half his, uh, his exam questions, and just that continued influence of ACBC upon our home. So we're very grateful for that. In fact, I won't have you look around, but my oldest daughter has graced you with her presence here this morning. So not to put her on the spot anywhere, should she be in here, but she might look something like one of those people in the picture there. <laughs> so very grateful for the opportunity um, to, to be with you this morning to consider uh, the important issue of parenting. And so as we think about parenting, I'm going to put a question before you to get you thinking because I know after lunch you tend to want to get a little sleepy. Uh, but I'm going to make you think and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you would agree with this statement. If you are a parent or if you have observed other parents, is this statement true or false? If it's true, raise your hand. God-honoring parenting requires much humility. Some people, you didn't have to read the whole thing. You're just, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly two hands up. There you go. <laughs> Very good. What makes that the case? Why does parenting require much humility? Because kids, <laughs> kids humble you, certainly. We're going to make mistakes. Yeah, we're going to make mistakes, and a whole lot of them. You're always giving. What's that? Always Through giving. giving. Okay, yeah, a lot of giving. Mm-hmm. And, and aside, a lot of neediness on our part. Mm-hmm. We're sinners, yeah. We're sinners called to raise up sinners in the way of the Lord. That, that's humbling. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I think through a lot, a lot of verses, John fifteen five is, is one um, that, that comes back. And in part, as I think about parenting, just daily walk abiding in Christ. But apart from Him, we can do nothing. And parenting is one of those things that uh, some of us are tried more than others, but it, it can be a very hard, difficult season. Uh, but what a, a wonderful blessing that kids are. And so this morning, or this afternoon now, I guess, we're going to take a look at parenting. I get to do part one and two. But as we start out, um, just for fun, I jumped back on Amazon to uh, see how many current books there are on parenting. Anybody want to take a guess? How many parenting books on Amazon? 2,500? Got to keep going up. Well, that's close. My search was 60,000, but you're, you're close, and that may be what, they, what the Google search finds. That's a lot of books, huh? But aren't you grateful that as parents, you don't have to read 60,000 books to get it down? You've got one, right? Even if there were no other books, it doesn't matter because this one is what God has given us. This is God's will for us. The instructions we need are in here. This is the blueprint. Now, are there other books that are helpful in helping us understand what God has said about parenting? Absolutely. In fact, I'm going to refer to quite a few that I personally found helpful, but ultimately, it's this book. Right? God is our Heavenly Father. He knows best. He's wise in all that He does, and He's given us this is our blueprint. So that's going to be our focus today, and hopefully that'll be an encouragement to you that you don't have to read all those books. So, Reading at least some of those books can be helpful. 
as, as we think through um, the last three weekends, y'all have learned a lot about sanctification, right? You've learned sanctification is, is past, it's present and progressive, and it's also future and glorification. And so as we think through uh, parenting and, and the home in general, you could say that in a sense marriage could be labeled as sanctification 101. How many of you have grown in your sanctification in part because of being married? I thought I was really selfless until I got married. And then I realized how selfish I was. I'm still realizing that. And so relationships um, expose those areas where the Lord would have us grow. And if marriage then is sanctification 101, parenting would probably be sanctification 202. And so there's lots of areas to grow. In the book, uh, The Faithful Parent by Stuart Scott and Martha Peace, they wrote this. Our children are often one of the main means that God uses to show us our sin and mold us more and more into his likeness. It is common to hear a young mother say, I did not know I had an anger problem until I had children. And so as a parent, aren't you glad that we have a heavenly father who is a perfect parent uh, who we can run to in the midst of our parenting struggles and who has given us his word that we might have the help that we need. In fact, Second Peter 1.3 says, He has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, does that include parenting? All things that pertain to life and godliness? Yeah, it sure does. And so why did God give us all that we need for parenting? Verse 3 goes on to say, God has called you to his own glory and excellence. And so he's given us what we need as parents to live for his glory and to, to fulfill the role that he's called us to do in a way that would be honoring to him. And so that leads us then to the big picture of parenting. Uh, in parenting, what is most significant is not how many sports your child may play or how will they perform in those sports or how many instruments they play or their GPA or all those other things. Those ultimately are not that significant. But rather as parents, according to Psalm 78, Uh, What matters the most is that we faithfully teach our children the glorious deeds of the Lord, that they, by God's grace, may one day put their hope in the Lord. All right? And I think that's the the goal of all parents, is that through our parenting, our kids would know of God, and maybe by His grace, even in the time they're in our home, they would come to know Him in a saving way. But either way, we're called to be faithful in in our parenting. And so that's where we're going to start then, um, the focus in our parenting, the role of parenting, um, the goal of our parenting, what is the ultimate goal of parenting? As we think about parenting, what is the end goal? What is the ultimate goal? Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, all sorts of good answers. Uh, the ultimate answer that I heard that all these other things fall underneath is the glory of God. Right? The goal of parenting is the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, might that include parenting? Do all, including parenting, to the glory of God. Of God, So that is the goal of parenting. We would do it to the glory of God. In a practical sense, if we don't seek to glorify God then in our parenting, then who in essence might we be seeking to glorify? Self. Okay. And so in parenting, the goal is not to produce a well-manicured child who makes us as parents look good. Right? That is not the goal. The goal is to glorify God by embracing, by exemplifying, and by expounding the gospel. And that's where we're going to go in this hour, by embracing, exemplifying, and expounding the gospel. And so in parenting, we aim to help our children see their heart from which their behavior flows. And in so doing, help them see their need for Christ for saving and sanctifying grace. Okay, And so in parenting, we aim to faithfully help our children see that all the scriptures ultimately point to Christ and to help them look to Christ in all of life. And so if you think through Ephesians chapter 4 through 6, we see there that the church, marriage, parenting are all designed by God to be platforms for the proclamation of the gospel. 
Okay, you just talked about marriage earlier this morning, right? The, the, the ultimate end of marriage is that it would show forth the mystery of the gospel in the husband's relationship with the wife, right? Parenting, same thing. It's another platform to show forth the gospel, to show forth the sufficiency of Christ, to point to him in, in the home and even beyond. And so what is the gospel? That, that's so important as we think through this, as we work with our kids, what is the gospel? What is the purpose of marriage or parenting? It's the glory of God. And so as we think through, starting in Ephesians, um, as we think through why God has chosen us, he's chosen us according to Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, that we might be holy and blameless. Uh, and then he's done that to the praise of his glorious grace. Okay, it's all about his glory again. And how does he get praise and glory out of that? Well, you go into Ephesians chapter 2, and we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. What did God do? He made us alive together in Christ Jesus. By grace, through faith, you have been saved. And as we've been saved, united into Christ, what do we see then? We're united also with his people, the church. In the context of the church, we're further equipped uh, to, to look to God, to, to love him, process of sanctification and also further equipped to be the kind of parents that God would have us to be and that the gospel would be central in our homes. So the gospel must be central in our parenting. To that end, Vody Bauckham, in a great resource called Family Shepherds, wrote this. He says, we never get beyond the gospel in our Christian life to something more advanced. The gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truths. Rather, it is more like the hub in a wheel of truth. The gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is not just a minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but the way we make all progress in the kingdom. The gospel involves not only who we are in Christ, but also directs how we are to live. And so we see this in Matthew 28, uh, verse 20, where Jesus says, All authority has been entrusted to me, therefore go and make disciples. Teaching them to observe what? All that I have commanded you. And so in the gospel we find salvation. In the gospel we find the motivation and the direction then to uh, raise our children. And so the goal of parenting then involves uh, faithfulness to God's calling. Faithfulness to God's calling. Uh, Again, referring to the faithful parent, Stuart Scott and Martha Peace, state that the goal of the Christian parent is to be faithful to God's word by his grace for his glory. Okay, that's the ultimate goal. The Lord has, if you have kids, he's entrusted you with those kids. You are to steward those kids. You are to honor the one who's given you those kids. You are to be faithful in your parenting of them. And so in the parable of the talents found in Matthew 25, uh, the servants who had been diligent with what they were entrusted heard these words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. And as parents, that's what we want to hear as well one day, right? Well done, my good and faithful servants. You have taken what I've entrusted to you, and you have pointed them back to their creator, back to uh, his son that he has sent for their salvation and what it means to honor him in all of life. And so that is, that is the aim. And yet as we seek to be faithful in parenting, uh, we do so dependent upon God and his work. A familiar passage to you, I'm, to you, I'm sure, Psalm 127, 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And so in parenting, we seek to bring glory to God, not by raising perfect children, because none of us have, right? But rather, by being faithful and dependent upon God in our parenting. And so one area in which our dependence on God is made evident is in our children's salvation. If you would have asked me 20 years ago what the goal of parenting was, I would have said the salvation of my child. That's a good thing, right? We should all want that. We should pray for that. We, we should, as far as it depends upon us, work towards that. And yet, is salvation of good parenting? Who would get the glory if it was? But the Bible says salvation is of, of the Lord, right? And that's humbling, because we want desperately for our children to come to saving faith, and yet is that a result of our works? The Lord may use that as a means, but ultimately it's His work, right? And so there's a sense of great humility 
in parenting. We trust the Lord. We seek the Lord to be merciful to our children and that through our example, through our instruction, he would use us uh, as instruments of their salvation. But ultimately that salvation is of him. And so that brings us then, as we think through the goal of parenting, the glory of God, uh, we seek to do that through being faithful as we pray that the Lord would bring them into a personal saving relationship with himself. Um, let's take a look then at the priority of marriage in parenting. You guys have already talked a lot about marriage, uh, but as it relates to parenting, if married, the spouse must be a higher priority than the children. And so in looking at then the one flesh versus not one flesh relationship, um, the marriage relationship is the permanent relationship, right? Your spouse, by God's design, is intended to stay in the home with you when your children leave. And therefore, the parent-child relationship is a temporary relationship. Now, many kids today don't see it that way. They just want to stay forever, right? <laughs> they think that's to be a permanent relationship. They grew up there. This is my home. Why don't I just stay forever? Um, but the way it's intended to be is a husband-wife stay there. The children are raised up and shot out like arrows, sent out, um, hopefully well-equipped for what they will encounter. And so, um, and moving on, the priority of marriage and parenting, if that is not the focus, if that relationship gets messed up, then we have what we call a child-centered home. And according to Lou Priello in The Heart of Anger, which is a great book for parenting, uh, I'll refer to it here uh, in this session and, and also in the next one. In The Heart of Anger, he says, A child-centered home is a home in which the child believes and is allowed to behave as though the entire household exists for one purpose, to please him. Y'all have never, for those of you parents, you've never experienced that, right? <laughs> They've never had them, those moments or those seasons, um, but that certainly is accurate. And so what might a child-centered home look like? Well, child-centered home would be where uh, manipulation and rebellion get their way uh, through the child. Okay, if they go after something hard enough, if they get cunning enough, they're eventually going to get their way because ultimately it's all about them and their happiness anyways. A child-centered home is where they take precedence over the needs of the spouse. And as you can imagine, this is going to create some marital issues at some point. A child-centered home is where they escape consequences of sinful behavior. And yet Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son. All right. Uh, D, child-centered home is where they speak to parents as peers. Okay. Should a child be allowed to argue with a parent? No, that's not honoring, and oftentimes if they've been asked to do something, that's not obeying either. And it's a direct violation of what God has called the child to do, which we'll look at in the next hour. A child-centered home is also where the child is allowed to be the dominant influence in the home. There is just simply no time left for the marriage relationship or for other things. It's all about the child and their happiness. A child-centered home is where they're entertained and coddled rather than disciplined when in a bad mood. Okay. Is it easy to do that sometimes? You, you just want a little piece of quiet so you, you know, you give the child what they want so they'll be happy for a moment. But the reality is if we do that, what are we doing? We're making it all about them and yeah, we're reinforcing and, and we just add more to that. And so, so important that we're faithful in our parenting. In Everyday Talk, his book, uh, Jay Yance, and by the way, this is a great book. Last time I looked, there was one copy left. Um, it's worth getting. This is one of those, uh, one of the first parenting books I read before I even had kids, and it was humbling. The, the subtitle, Everyday Talk, free, uh, Freely and Naturally Talking to Your Children About God. And in reading through that, I realized, wow, if I'm going to be a dad, um, I've got some, some growing to do in my own life that, that talking about God is my natural, ongoing, regular conversation, talking about the things that matter the most and pointing my kids to him. And so he says in this book, now, when children become... The primary focus of family life, the focus of parents shifts to the enjoyment of children. The shift in focus from training of children to enjoyment of children actually diminishes the pleasure of parenting. Children are, surprise, selfish, devious, and ungrateful by nature. Unless children are instructed and disciplined to follow God, they will follow their own ways. They will always frustrate the expectations of parental enjoyment. Loving, enjoyable relationships between parents and children are a byproduct of good parenting, not the goal. 
not the goal, right? Faithfulness is the goal. The byproduct of that, Lord willing, is that there will be relationships that uh, are mutually encouraging and beneficial. And so that then brings us then to point number three. What is the opposite of a child-centered home? This is what we're after. This is what we want to encourage in our our biblical counseling to work with parents. A Christ-centered home where children perceive that the goal of the family is to honor and please Christ. And so this means that the marriage relationship is the primary relationship, obviously vertical with the Lord first, but in the home, the primary relationship, since it is permanent, Second, the husband is the head of the family. His Christ is the head of the church, and the wife is his helper. And third, children have an important relationship in the home, but the relationship is secondary and temporary. Now, would our culture like this? (laughs) Yeah, not really. But whose design is this? And so which are we going to choose to submit to? The creator, his design, or the cultural's fads and and influences and so this is important and you guys heard all this earlier so we're going to move on but so important that our our children come to understand that so as we consider parenting let's consider briefly then some common but wrong means and goals of parenting right and to some degree or the other for those of you who are parents uh we're we're probably all guilty of some of these to some degree Um, so wrong means one making children behave So tell me, what are some ways that parents might sometimes seek to make their children behave? Other parents, of course, because we haven't done that. But what are some wrong means other parents have done? What's that? Bribe, Bribe, yeah, bribe the kids. That'll get them to behave at least for a little bit. Counting. Counting. Don't make me count to three. There's a good book on that. Time out, okay. Yelling. Yeah. Shaming. Shaming them. Mm-hmm. Taking away the video games. Taking away the video games, okay. Growling. Growling them. Okay. Yeah. And so some of these things may actually not be bad means. They could be a good consequence. Um, so we'll, we'll come into some of those. But making them behave, yelling at them. Should we yell at our children? Unless they're about to get hit by a bus and they need to have our attention drastically right away. Um, yelling at our children only leads to what we'll talk about in the next hour, provoking them, right? So that's a wrong means of, of training, bribing them. Somebody mentioned that. If you'll brush your teeth, Johnny, I'll give you, I'll give you a dollar. <laughs> Using physical force? Is that a proper means of parenting? Yeah, certainly not. Or other extremes such as duct tape? I frequently tell my middle daughter that duct tape fixes everything, and she's constantly coming up with something. Yeah, duct tape fixed this, and creatively I always find a way that duct tape can fix that. So one of these days she's going to say, well, can duct tape fix our relationship with God? And I'm going to say, oh, you got me there. (laughs) Yeah, no, only Christ can do that. But, yeah, duct tape, wrong means of parenting. It does fix a lot of things, but it won't fix the heart of your child, right? All right, in seeking to make children behave, uh, Ted Tripp wrote this in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. He says, changing behavior without changing the heart trains the heart toward whatever you use as, as your means. Addressing the child's heart unbiblically plays to the corruption of his heart as an idolater and provides him with functional idols around which to organize his life. If you address... Only behavior in your children, you never get to the cross of Christ. That's pretty significant, right? In his other book on parenting, Instructing the Child's Heart, Ted Tripp goes on to say of behavioralism, addressing the behavior without speaking to the heart bypasses the profound needs of the heart. It is like trying to solve the problem of weeds in the yard by using a lawnmower. You might succeed at mowing down the weeds, but you will be dismayed with how quickly they grow back. Okay, so true. So another wrong means of parenting is never telling children no, letting them always have their way. We have an example of this to some degree for Samuel uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, where there Eli and his sons uh, met a tragic end in part because of why? Eli, in a sense, didn't tell his children no. Right? There wasn't a sense of faithful parenting there. He didn't confront the sin that was taking place. 
And so what might be the outcome of letting children have their own way? If we just let them have their own way, what, what's that going to look like down the road? Disobedience? Okay. They're going to be like their parents. They're going to be like their parents. Okay. Self-centered? Mm-hmm. Social misfit? Certainly be the case. Always demanding, yeah. What happens if, if you give in to the demands of a three-year-old repeatedly? When they're 16, how much bigger have those demands gotten? Yeah. Okay, and so, uh, uh, yeah, when we, when we let children have their way all the time, one, there's certainly a child-centered home versus a Christ-centered home. Um, the child oftentimes is going to want what's not best for them. Occasional candy, maybe not bad. One of my kids, if they could have candy all day, every day, and only candy, they, they think they would be happy, though obviously we know that eventually wouldn't go well. Uh, but if we give them what they want all the time, the things probably aren't going to go well. We need to learn to tell them no. Three, sheltering them excessively, and some refer to this as the blank slate approach. And so question then, are kids born basically good? Yeah, we see in Romans 5.12, by our very nature and through our behavior, we are sinners, right? And so parents who seek to completely isolate their children so they will not become corrupted are overlooking a major problem. They were already corrupted, right? Sure, they may not have as many influences to live out those corrupt desires, but the reality of it is, according to the scripture, um, they're born in need of a savior. And so how many of you as parents have had to teach your child how to throw a temper tantrum? So they, they just got it right. Even on the, the changing table, they've got that one down and, and they only perfect that if not trained um, biblically. All right. So that said, as we think through the, the blank slate approach, should parents sometimes establish parameters in the lives of their children? Yeah. And increasingly so in this world, right? If they've got a, a smart device, there needs to be some conversations, probably some, some software. Um, there, there are parameters we should set, but again, in all those, we're ultimately teaching and we're talking to them about the heart behind uh, maybe the desires that they might have and, and helping them understand those things. And so looking at another wrong means of parenting, legalistic parenting, this one's very common. A legalistic parenting makes parenting all about the externals while neglecting the heart. And yet, what does God look upon? First Samuel sixteen seven: man looks on the outward appearances, the Lord looks on, on the heart. And so legalistic parenting produces either exasperated children, because they just can't measure up to our legalistic standards, or if they do measure up to whatever those standards are, it produces really good Pharisees. Right? Which do we want? Exasperated? Pharisees? None of the above. Right? So we want to avoid legalistic parenting. Jim Neuheiser wrote, They cannot be saved by our good works of parenting, nor can they be saved by becoming good kids. Okay? Another wrong means of parenting is deterministic parenting, which is basically parents believe, well, if we do everything right, our kids will turn out right okay how many frustrated parents do you know that they sought to do everything right but their kids did not turn out right of this ted tripp in shepherding a child's heart wrote determinism makes parents conclude that good shaping influences will automatically produce good children this often bears bitter fruit later in life Parents who have an unruly and troublesome teenager or young adult conclude that the problem is the shaping influences they provided. They forget that the child is never uh, determined solely by the shaping influences of life. Remember that Proverbs 4.23 instructs you that the heart is the fountain from which life flows. Your child's heart determines how he responds to your parenting. Okay? And so even if you parent right, there's no guarantee that your child will turn out right. As Paul Tripp says, in Age of Opportunity, what controls the heart will direct the life. And so do we just want to direct their behavior? Or do we want to help them to see their heart, which is behind that behavior? 
All right. Next, the means of parenting. Well, let me let me back up just a little bit. Um, parents ultimately don't determine uh, how the child turns out. Um, and, and maybe a little bit of encouragement, no doubt, in this room. There are parents here who have had their, their children who did not turn out the way that you would have wanted them to turn out, right? Uh, I, I know lots of parents who struggle with that wayward child, that rebellious child. And a little bit of encouragement, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, the Lord says, Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. Now, did Israel rebel against God because he was an imperfect parent? Was God a faulty parent? No, God is perfect in all of his ways. Uh, and so they rebelled um, because of their own evil choices. And so that said, how then are we to parent so their children's hearts will be inclined towards the gospel and away from self-serving lives? Uh, as we depend upon the Lord to ultimately change their heart. And so we're going to look then at the means of parenting. Uh, how do we practically seek to honor the Lord, be faithful in our parenting? A key text the key text is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Now turn there if you would, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Deuteronomy 6, 4 uh, starts out, and you guys are familiar with this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And so the first thing I want us to take away from this is in parenting, we must personally know, personally knowing the only true God. So significant. If we're going to be faithful in our parenting, we have to know the parent who is faithful. Right? We have to know him personally, experientially, in accordance to the way he's revealed himself through his word. And so a parent must know and love the only true God as revealed in the scriptures. And so what does it mean then to know God? As we look at uh, the context there, Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 6, goes on to say, You shall love the Lord your God with... 32% of your heart, 18% of your soul, and with 45% of your might. And obviously that's not what it says. How are we to love God? With the entirety of what and who we are. Okay, why? Because He is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. In other words, we are to love Him chiefly, supremely, above all else and in all things. And so you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And so to know God is to love God. And it is to treasure up His Word in our own lives to the point that it overflows into all of life, including our parenting. And so if we want to be faithful in parenting, first and foremost, we need to love the Lord God ourselves. Because if not, what are we doing? As we get into next hour, we're provoking our children to anger. We're setting a double standard. We say we love Him, but are we really loving Him? And if, if we want to teach of him, which our kids need to know about first and foremost, do we know his word? Has it been pressed upon our own hearts to a degree that it can freely and naturally come out in the opportunities, situations, circumstances, trials, temptations in life? Okay? And so this, this really is a key parenting text. You don't need techniques and you don't need principles. Right? We need to know the one true God. And we need to love him according to his word. And we need to know his word. And as that happens, then we have the wisdom we, we need to then faithfully parent our children. And so that leads to the second point there, the means of parenting, setting a godly example. And obviously we can't rightly impress upon our children um, what has not been pressed upon our own hearts. Uh, to that end, Jim Eliff wrote this. He said, if you want... If we want our children to hear the gospel from us, they must see the gospel's impact upon us. How we live before them powerfully preaches the gospel and its implications for our lives. And so here's the reality of parenting. Parenting is an overflow of what? Our own hearts, right? And our own love of the Lord. And so Matthew 22:37 is is the chief calling for us then as parents in the New Testament, love the Lord your God wholeheartedly, right? Repeat of Deuteronomy chapter 6. John Piper said this, 
He said, children can feel the difference between duty and delight. Therefore, the first and most important job of a parent is to fall in love with the worship of God. You can't impart what you do not possess. So important, right? And so as parents, as we work with parents, we want to foster within them, encourage them to a deeper knowledge and love of the Lord so that it it will be more naturally um, communicated then within their homes. And so as parents, our, our first priority is to cultivate our love for God as we delight in His Word. And then as we see... In Deuteronomy 6, 7, it says, you shall do what? Teach them, what's them? The words of God. You shall teach God's word to what degree, to what extent, with what effort, diligently to your children. Okay? And so this is God's calling for parents. Take my word, let it be impressed upon your hearts, and then with great diligence impart it, impress it upon the hearts of your children. And so as God's word is upon our hearts, we'll be able to diligently teach it to our children. How do we do this? We teach them in all of life, in all of life. So Deuteronomy 6, verses 7 through 9 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, when should we uh, seek to to teach our children? We should seek to teach them all the time. We need to seek to teach them systematically, formally, as well as situationally. Okay, And so we need to think through what do they need to learn and when and how will I teach that? And then also in just everyday life, those are situations in which to teach. And so that's in essence what Deuteronomy 6, 7 through 9 is, is telling us in all of life, teach. Both formally, informally, systematically, and situationally. And so to that end, um, start first with systematic formal teaching. Uh, that might include such things as family devotions. That might include such things as, as catechisms, such things as scripture memory. Uh, and, and so knowing the vital role of the parents, um, our, our church, Grace Community Church, when it started 24 years ago now, uh, put this as part of its covenant. Um, so important about the Word of God being upon our hearts and pressing upon our children. Those who formed that initial document said, We also engage to maintain family and personal devotions to educate our children in the Christian faith. Okay, and so we're working with parents and they're struggling with their children. Uh, we want to make sure these things are taking place or are, are beginning to take place. We equip them to do these types of things. We teach them the importance of it, the significance of it, and how to make steps towards making sure uh, the Word of God is, is taught and lived out in their house. And to that end, I love the statement by Jonathan Edwards. He says, Every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church consecrated to Christ. The holy uh, and holy influenced and governed by his rules. Okay, so in other words, in the ideal world, and what we aim for is what we go and experience on a Sunday morning in a much smaller sense ought to take place within our homes on a, on a regular basis, upon a daily basis. That we come together. We gather around God's word. It's seen through the parents. This is the priority for our home, for our lives. Okay, and we'll get more into that a little bit later. But going back to the, the 19th century, uh, back before kids were discipled by VeggieTales, uh, there was a, a much better teaching in a book called Thoughts on Family Worship uh, where Alexander, Wright, uh, Alexander White wrote this. He says, Regular family worship shows, that children, shows the children that their parents believe that Jesus Christ is central to all of life. Okay? If we were to ask our children... What is most important to us? What would they say? If we're working with others and we're asking them, what would your children say is most important to you? What would, what would they say? That, that's pretty significant. If it's, if it's not the Lord Jesus Christ, if it's, if it's not God, if he's not at the center, though not perfectly, none of us do that perfectly, but if it's not there, then, then that's certainly one thing we want to help the family work towards, starting with the parents. And so to that end as well, uh, Tony Payne and Colin Marshall uh, in their book, The Vine Project, wrote this. 
He said, For many churches with a Reformation heritage, the Sunday gathering has long been understood as the gathering of Christian households that have churched throughout the week. Family, worship, or devotions were embedded in the normal rhythm of godly family life. Indeed, what better context could there be for learning Christ than in the day-to-day relationships of the home, where the Bible is read, prayers are offered, and the gracious lifestyle of the gospel is now on show through all the ups and downs in life, a family life. And so to that end, in your notes, uh, there is an excerpt there from a blog that I wrote uh, a year or two ago. And the purpose of that is to help equip, encourage parents where maybe Christ, maybe where the Word was not central in the home, and to help them understand, one, the importance of that, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, what can that look like in your home, as well as some practical resources to help them move in that direction. Okay, and so I pray this will be helpful to you. So I'm just going to walk Walk through this. I believe I put this in your notes as well. And you're going to see a lot of footnotes. Those footnotes are specific resources that you might find helpful, ideals there that you might use in, in perhaps in the context of a counseling situation. And so it says they're establishing a pattern of systematic or formal teaching and worship in the home lays the foundation for more naturally relating God's word to the rest of life. Throughout scripture, there are three essential elements of worshiping God. Prayer, the scriptures, and song. In prayer, we glorify God by adoring Him, confessing sins, giving thanks, and petitioning God for ourselves and others. Starting each family worship time according, uh, acknowledging our need for God, as well as ending the time in prayer, honors the Lord through our dependence upon Him in prayer. Praying the prayers found in the Bible, such as the prayers of Jesus and Paul, and perhaps using good prayer devotionals, helps us take hold of God's word and return it to him in praise and petitions. Vitally connected to prayer is the word, which is used to guide parenting as well as to be the main course of family life. Depending upon the age and maturity of the children, a single verse to several chapters can be read and discussed at each gathering. Surely we would want to know that under our parenting, each child has been through the entire Bible before leaving our home. With 1,189 chapters in the Bible, reading just three chapters a day gets to the whole Bible in just about a year. There are lots of great reading plans to help systematically lead your family through the Bible in one to three years. Age-appropriate books and catechisms, along with some great online devotional materials, make supplementing family devotionals easier today than ever before. Okay, in other words, you don't have to study for a whole week like maybe your pastor does in order to do a family devotion. Okay, you, there are, if this is new to you, you can take one passage, read a couple verses and discuss it and then pray accordingly. Or there's devotions that you can just use to get started as well. There's lots of things made available to make this easy. So continuing another way to worship as a family is through songs. Psalm 96, 1 through 2 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Singing unto the Lord is seen throughout scripture and will continue through eternity. For those not musically gifted, what a blessing it is to have so many online resources to guide us in worshiping through song. Singing of the salvation provided by Christ as put forth in his word as we prayerfully seek to acknowledge him in all of life brings glory to God. Helping parents establish these rhythms in the heart and home as first priority is the best help we can give for it lays the foundation upon which to handle all other parenting issues. Okay, that was a lot. The gist of it is this. If... if as parents, we will systematically, intentionally open the Word of God, even if it's a verse, reading through a book of the Bible together in the course of whatever time it takes, but just going to the Word on a regular basis and, and maybe memorizing some scriptures together. You're laying the foundation for your children, the foundation for you to better parent and to be able to bring the Word of God back into their situation. So some examples. Um, one of, and, and by the way, I have not parented perfectly. Yes, my daughter and my other child is here, right? Um, 
But one of the things the Lord has blessed us and graced us with through the years is uh, early on we, we started memorizing um, scriptures with our kids. And so my ABC Memory Verses by Susan Hunt um, was wonderful. They can have them down, some of them by the time the kids are, are two and a half, three years old. One verse, letter of the alphabet. So A, a soft answer turns away wrath. Is that a verse you can use with your children somewhere down the road? Maybe they didn't have a soft answer, but they got angry. Okay, Bless, uh, B, blessed are the peacemakers. C, children obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord, so they've, they've disobeyed. What's the letter C? Ah, okay. So what I did wasn't pleasing to the Lord. Yeah, that's right. Let's talk about what would be pleasing to the Lord. And so just memorizing those scriptures with them, doing catechisms, working through books of the Bible, you've then got the foundation to come back and have a conversation, right? And so the Word of God impressed upon us as we impress it upon them so we're able to rightly think about, talk about God and how He would have us live in the implications of the gospel. Make sense? It's not rocket science, but it's, it requires diligence, right? Impress upon them diligently. We have to be intentional. Are we all busy? Yeah, way too much so probably, right? But are we making the main thing the main thing? Is, is the Word of God being opened in the homes, shared with the kids? Are we pointing them to Christ and His sufficiency? Are we showing them through our systematic approach of opening the Word that He is most important? All right, and so systematically, another opportunity then for parenting is situational or informal teaching. And so situational teaching is done by engaging our children in the everyday happenings of life, right? And so Deuteronomy 6, whether you walk along the, the road, whatever you're doing, um, impress it, impart it upon your children, whatever they're struggling with, right? You get the opportunity then to, to open the Word of God with them. Um, so we, we have at my house um, in the backyard acquired rabbits. And as you know, rabbits multiply, and so we have lots of rabbits. And so my kids take turns who goes out and feeds and waters the rabbits. And, uh, and frequently in those times I'll go out with them, um, there's informal conversations. So, Dad, what do you think about? And there in the middle of the rabbitry, we get an opportunity to, to, what's God's perspective on this? How do I honor the Lord in the midst of this? And so whatever you're doing, feeding rabbits, doing your chores, driving to school, whatever it is, situational things, they're struggling they're obviously upset. They're angry. They're anxious. Again, there's a situational opportunity, right, to point them back to who God is, to, to help them understand his word and the implications of it for all of life. It's so a situational teaching, very, very important. John uh, Yance, again, wrote this in his book, Everyday Talk. He says, wherever you are with your children, they should hear about the constant interaction you are having with God and his word. This is how God's Word will make an impression on your children. All right, They see it's important to you, and then you instruct them in it. He goes on to say this, Talking about God isn't hard or complicated, but it does require some time and preparation. If you don't spend time thinking about God, you won't have much to say about God. God is everywhere all the time. He controls everything. If you are aware of His power and presence, if you take even a little time to meditate on Him, your everyday talk will begin to be about God. Everyday talk is important. Okay? If our everyday talk is not about God, what are we teaching our children? Something else is more important. Ultimately, we're living for Functionally, practically worshiping something else, okay? Everyday talk, opportunities surround us to talk about God's goodness. You see creation, you can talk about God's, God's glory, God's power. Uh, it surrounds us with the opportunities that are there. And so use their questions and circumstances to shape their theology. Uh, what are some everyday opportunities we can use to talk to our kids about God, His Word, His ways? Mealtime, Meal okay. So we're together. How can, how can we use mealtime as an opportunity to diligently teach our children? Practically, what could we do? Okay, yeah, so what's on your table? Where'd it come from? Ultimately, church answer, God, <laughs> right? Okay. 
Do a devotional, yeah. What a great time to do a devotional. What, what might be some ideas of devotionals you could do around the dinner table? There you go, dinner table devotions. Can't get more practical than that. <laughs> okay, so hopefully you're attending a church on a Sunday, right? Your kids may be getting further feeding on a Wednesday night. There's a good time around the table. You know what? Uh, can, you, can you remind me today? Can you give me a summary of today's sermon? What, what did you get out of today's sermon? What are the implications of today's sermon? Or uh, on Wednesday night, what did you learn tonight? And, and dialogue there. Okay. Some other practical things. Uh, memorizing scripture. How important is that for our children to have? Yeah. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your ways. I'll seek you with all my heart. You'll let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Okay. It's through God's word that we know God, that we know the gospel, we know how to live for him. And so... Around the dinner table, one thing that, that several in our church do each month, we have what we call the grace verse. And so as a church, we memorize a verse and we start off each service saying that verse together. And, and to memorize that, um, you know, we might say, well, I'm not good at memorizing scripture. It's really not that hard. It's not a matter of intellect. It's a matter of ultimately interest, right? Somebody said that. It was very good, convicting. Um, so to memorize it, we put it on our, our dinner table. And oftentimes before a meal, we'll say that verse together. And then when I can remember, I'll include that verse into the, the prayer before dinner that night. Okay? Everyday talk. It's something we're doing anyways. It's, we're already there together around the devotional table. So there's lots of things you could do. It's a matter of what? Diligently, intentionally um, taking the time, making it a priority. Okay? And so in helping parents... Um, have a Christ-centered home, we have to help them have the word central in the home as well. And so lots of ways we can make that happen. All right. Are there other things that we can talk to our kids about they need to hear about? Yeah, there's lots of things, right? There's struggles at school. You know, as, as our kids get older, you know, we talk more and more about relationships, um, what kind of a person, not just are you looking to marry, but what kind of person would God have you to be for marriage, right? And as you seek to become like Christ and follow him, then look around for those who are also seeking to become like Christ and follow him. Those are the ones that you might want to kind of keep an eye on and pray about, okay? Lots of opportunities surround us. All right, well, let's, let's wrap up thinking through this a little bit more with situational teaching um, if God is first and foremost in our own thoughts and affections and our love of him uh, then should be spilling over, should be evident in the context of the home. So to that end, Tad Thompson in a great little book, Intentional Parenting, Family Discipleship by Design, uh, he writes this. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses calls Israel to love and obey the one true God and challenges the people to integrate God's word seamlessly into every aspect of their lives so that it becomes the very foundation of their families and community. Discipleship is most effectively accomplished when the practice is integrated into the rhythm of everyday life. Okay? This is the aim, faithful parenting. This is in part what it looks like, right? That God will be glorified through our seeking to talk to God, uh, uh, talk to our children about God in the context of the home for parents. So maybe a homework assignment you could possibly give to a counselee, maybe something to help you think through as you work with a counselee. Just a question to ponder here. How can we seek to glorify God by establishing the Word of God as the foundation for our homes, that the Word of God may be our very lives for growing in Christ. Right? And so Deuteronomy 32, 7, Moses there writes, uh, the Word of God is to be your very life. To be your very life. And as you think through uh, the kings in the Old Testament, uh, God called them there in Deuteronomy chapter 17, uh, the, the kings that would come. He prescribed for them what they were to do to lead his people. They were to, for themselves, get a copy of God's word and were to handwrite it themselves and to keep it with them to review on a daily basis. Okay? Why? Because they were the leader, they were to be the leaders of God's people and they were to lead God's people to God in accordance to his word. As parents, we have the same responsibility. And, and you don't have to hand copy it. You've got lots of written copies now. But we need to be in it daily. We need to bring it uh, to our children daily as we're seeking to live by it ourselves. And so hopefully that's helpful there. Um, some resources. 
for parenting. Um, I'll cover that at the end of the next session. Um, I think we're done at 2.30, correct? Yeah, so any, any questions before we take a break? Y'all have it down? Got a plan? How to help others? How to grow ourselves? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and so maybe to paraphrase that, um, how many of us have parented perfectly? None. As we think through the great command, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, how many of us have loved God perfectly, wholeheartedly, as we're called? None. Only one, right? Who's that? The Lord Jesus, right? He alone did His Father's will perfectly. And so in the midst of our imperfect parenting, which we're all guilty Right? What does that cause us to do? Pray. Pray. And pray what? Pray what? Humbly, yeah. Diligently? Unceasingly? Yeah. Again, what did I start out with? Parenting requires much humility because we all mess up and none of us do it perfectly. Right? And so, but as we see our imperfections, as we see maybe where we have done things wrong, um, what do we do with that? Repent. Okay. Repentance is needed. Uh, To the Lord, if we realize you've called me to this, I've missed it. I failed. Repent. What if we, and we'll get more into this in in the next hour, what if, um, obviously our kids have seen how we've not parented well, right? (laughs) To the degree that they've seen that, what should we do with them? Confess, acknowledge it, repent, seek forgiveness. Okay? And in doing that, we're being faithful parents, right? Because are your kids falling short of the glory of God? They are, and we are too. And we humbly acknowledge that before them. Look, you know, as I've come to understand the scriptures more, as I've grown more in the Word, I realize that, that I've failed the Lord. I failed you in this area. Would you please forgive me? I'm looking for the grace to grow in this. And. I pray that you'll see the fruit of that. Or would you even hold me accountable to that if they're still in the home, right? Uh, Along that line as well, and that's good. Um, So there's been lots of godly people who have sought to be faithful uh, and have kids who have come out to to not honor the Lord, follow him, and and be very wayward. One of those, uh, Stuart Scott, many of you know Stuart, he's spoken here before, written some great books, Exemplary Husband. Uh, He's had a, a wayward daughter. I'm not sure where she's at right now. Uh, but he struggled through that, as well as others. Uh, Jim Newheiser, another one, written two books. Those I would recommend those resources to those who are struggling with kids who have gone wayward, and and encourages in two things. One, you need to take ownership of where we didn't, we were, where we weren't faithful. Acknowledge that to them, but also to be encouraged. How do you continue to love and parent those kids who are wayward? And so Jim Newheiser's book used to be called. He changed the title of it. Um, it used to be called Parenting Adult Children. Now it's something else. Just look up Jim, New- Jim Newheiser and it'll be there. Uh, another one that just came out, uh, and I'm getting actually to read th- through this one. I'm thinking about even reading through this as my family, with my family as part of our family devotion time, uh, because I want feedback on how I'm parenting from my kids, and I want to put together collectively what it looks like to honor the Lord in the context of our home. And so this is a, a new book, Wayward Children, Finding Peace, Keeping Hope, 31 uh, Devotionals for Life by Stuart Scott. Not in the Resource Center, it just came out, but this is a good book um, for to encourage those who are struggling with that very thing, which many are. Okay? All right. That said, let me pray for us, and we're going to pick up the next hour, part two, and look at some more of the practicalities of this and how do we help those kids who have put themselves outside of what God has promised to bless. How do we love them and parent them? All right, let's pray. 
Father, we, we come before you and we rest in the fact that you are a good and perfect parent. And even in this hour as we consider uh, the calling you've given us uh, to have your word impressed upon our own hearts that would freely and naturally flow into our relationships with others and to the degree that, that we have loved other things and done other things. Father, we, we thank you for your mercy and forgiveness found in the Lord Jesus. Continue to show us our need for him in all things. And Father, for those that may have a sense of, of guilt or condemnation, help us to remember as well that in Christ Jesus there is therefore now no condemnation. And Father, help us to know the grace of the gospel and that we would not look back um, with a sense of failure, but that we would look back, see the cross and how Christ perfectly pleased you and paid for our sins. And that that cross, what he has done, who he is, would motivate us then to be faithful as we move forward, as we seek to build into our, our kids, our grandkids, help others who are struggling in parenting. Father, to look to you for the grace, uh, for the for the means of grace you provided for us as well, to live those out and that we might be found faithful in what you've entrusted us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.